All right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Embody Your Health. Today, we have an amazing guest on. We have Kelly Watkins. Thank you, guys, so much for having me. Yeah. So, Kelly, a little back history. Kelly and I met um, at Big Barn CrossFit. And I remember just honestly being such awe of you because oh, you're whatever. such a good athlete. And then I found out that she was like a mother already and she was like a six pack. And I was like, wow, oh. that's amazing. That's a great like woman inspiration. And then as we're, you know, working out and stuff, you get pregnant with your second son and she's just like mom bossing it at the gym every single day with like her firstborn running around and then like her being pregnant. She no. was just like, an animal and I was like wow that is awesome thanks it's not how I remember it but thank you for for the compliment of course I know for sure I'm not the only one that thought that at the gym because like me and like Gabby and Jess and all the other ladies will be like like watching you do like chest to bars your little pregnant belly and we're just like that's insane I couldn't quite get up there I just remember feeling like enormous but trying to survive because that was my first pregnancy doing CrossFit, so it was a totally okay. different experience. Yeah. What did you, what did you do with um, Jack. Your, with Jack? Yeah, for him, I was mostly just doing like cardio and like counting calories, excessive running. That was my thing back then. So just running and running and spin classes mostly. Did you notice, if you don't mind me asking, did you notice a difference in like your pregnancy and labor compared to? The different types yeah. of exercise you did? Oh, yeah. So um, I think in some ways the first pregnancy was easier with Jack just because it was the first pregnancy. But as far as exercise goes, I was so fatigued trying to run still throughout that whole pregnancy and like maintain mileage and kind of unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jesse, doing strength training was actually awesome. You feel really strong, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think it, the boost of estrogen or whatever makes you feel pretty good when you're working out. And you can really kind of like tailor the intensity to what you need it to be. So it was much more enjoyable. And the labor was very, very easy with Jesse. Whereas with Jack, my first, it was very long and very hard. <laughs> it makes sense so. coming from like a PT perspective. Because like you think pelvic health PT and from doing endurance to doing strength training, like you're strengthening your pelvic floor and yeah. all that good stuff and kind of getting your body prepared for labor and like that hip mobility and squatting and doing everything that CrossFit has to do with. So it makes total sense. Oh yeah. Mobility was huge. It was so much better than the Mm -hmm. second time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how was it after labor, like getting back into fitness? Um, I would say it took me a little bit longer, but I was trying to get back to a higher level of fitness the second time. So Um, like before I got pregnant with Jesse, my second one, um, I was, uh, I think much more fit than I was after Jack. So, um, it took me a little while, but I think the intensity of the training and then kind of just like taking it piece by piece, I felt great the whole time. I didn't have any issues with like pelvic floor weakness or anything. I think the strength training throughout pregnancy made it pretty, I guess, reasonable to get that back Mm -hmm. because it was training the whole time. Hmm. So, Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, now you're fully back. Um, Kelly and I just did the reindeer gains last weekend, right? Yeah. I feel like it was long it already. Was a month ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm still recovering, actually. Right. Yeah, are you still feeling, like, pretty fatigued? <laughs> yeah, that one, um, it, just being an individual, it was a long competition for a two-day, um, and, like, five events, it, they were hard. 
Yeah, that's a good they tool. Were, yeah, they were like very well programmed. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, they were. Was that your first? That wasn't your first individual comp though, was it? No, I haven't done that many individual. I usually do team. Um, and that's a particular one I'd wanted to do years and years in a row and just could never do it because of scheduling conflicts mm-hmm. or pregnancy or whatever. So this was the first time I was like, yes, I'm actually, I'm in shape. I'm not 100% ready for this, but I'm excited to do something individual. Mm-hmm. So nice. it was really fun. Awesome. Yeah, that was kind of similar cool. to you, right? Did you, was that your first individual? Uh-huh. Yeah, that was your first one. Yeah. That's scary. so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's different. It's totally different. It is, because like when you do teams, like whether you're consciously doing it or not, like I feel like you're picking people that are good at what you're not good at. Yeah, you balance. Yeah, and so then when you compete with people, at least for me, I always feel like it was harder to point out where I was falling short because it's like, oh, our team did so good in that, yeah. actually, like that workout. It's, you know, you don't really sit there and then think like, okay, well, they did really good. Did I contribute to that? Like they, you know, what did I, can you know, totally. you don't really think yeah. about that. But when it's just yourself, you're like, oh yeah, that's, I didn't do well there. That is a, well a weakness there. of mine. Yeah. Oh yeah. I always leave every competition feeling that way, but individual, it's, it's so much more pronounced. You're like, oh, okay. I got dead last in that mm-hmm. squat event. So apparently I need to squat. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. get into CrossFit after you started having kids or were you into CrossFit prior? After the first one. Okay. Mm-hmm. After my first kid. That was actually kind of like how I want to get my body back type of thing. After okay. the first kid, my husband was doing CrossFit mm-hmm. and I had watched him throughout the pregnancy. I was so annoyed that he started a new hobby without me when I was pregnant and I couldn't kind of jump into it at that point. I thought yeah. that wasn't smart. But um, once I got healed postpartum, I was like, okay, let's try it. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. And you kind of talked on your sheet about like body dysmorphia and things mm-hmm. like that. Is that kind of what led you to CrossFit or like what's your experience with body dysmorphia and after pregnancy and dealing with like postpartum and things like that? Oh yeah. Postpartum is like a whole different battle in and of itself. But I think, um, a lot of my body dysmorphia, which was really just like a sneaky, like quiet thing that was building up and I didn't really notice. Um, it came from running. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of that I had, um, been a swimmer in college and throughout my whole life. And when I quit swimming, I gained some weight. Um, and I wasn't really athletic at the time for, I don't know, a year or so. So I decided I really want to get back in shape. I want to lose some of this and get a little leaner um, and have like a more athletic body again. So I was running pretty much exclusively and then kind of got into nutrition, which um, I was really passionate about, but I took it a little bit too far. Mm -hmm. I started like counting calories with my fitness pal and I wasn't really using the motive of like macronutrients and how do I fuel my body. It was more like Um, make sure that you're eating this many calories or less so that you don't overeat and gain weight. Um, And in doing so, I ended up losing a lot of weight running and like really restrictively eating and um, never going over the calorie limit and whatnot. And just slowly, as I saw myself shrinking, got into this weird headspace of like, oh, I look better like that. Oh, wow, I've lost a lot of weight. Actually, I think I look good this way. Um, even though I was feeling terrible, like mm-hmm. there was not a whole lot of positive feedback with that at all. It was just a, a slow process of, um, almost you feel proud that you've like under eaten and overachieved in your workout or something. So yeah, that's how it started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you said it beautifully where you said it's kind of a sneaky thing mm-hmm. that you don't realize at the time. And I, ex- especially as like young athletes, because doing things like counting macros or like with us, we did body competitions and bodybuilding and stuff. And it's like at the time, it's kind of just a goal and normal in the health world. But then right. your brain gets so used to tracking and you kind of teach yourself, this is the amount that I need in order to achieve this certain look 
to be healthy right. and deemed healthy. So it, like you said, it kind of sneaks up on you and then you don't realize until afterwards where you're like, I'm having anxiety about eating X amount of calories or I look in the mirror and it's like, oh my goodness, I don't have a runner's body or right. I don't have a swimmer's body or things like that. And it's kind of ingrained in us and it's not like talked enough about to be definitely more to kind of make those skills more healthy and be like, okay, I need a little bit more calories because I'm running more or I need a little bit more calories because I'm in competition season or things like that. It's kind of ingrained in us to be a smaller body and kind of just deem ourselves healthy by the way that we look. Yeah, it's 100% like cosmetic goals versus Mm -hmm. like functional goals or any kind of fitness goal. Even if that's in the background, I think people would, if they had to choose one or the other, at least where I was in that headspace, I would have 100% chosen a cosmetic goal over a fitness goal. Like if someone told me to get your running pace down another 30 seconds per mile, you have to gain 10 pounds. I would have said, no, (laughs) I'm not doing that. (laughs) So yeah, it's just a... It's just a weird headspace. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, that's really interesting how, like, how both of you kind of said, you know, that connection of, oh, if I eat less, this is how I look. And then whether people mean to do it or not, they kind of validate that by saying, like, oh, my gosh, like, with bodybuilding, you know, people who don't know much about the sport, they may look in and be like, wow, those people are so healthy because they have six packs and right. they're disciplined and mm-hmm. they, like, I could never do that, you know, I could never eat the same meal every single day of for weeks on end and so we hear that and it kind of like at least for me it kind of like fed my ego and it made me feel superior like oh yes I am better essentially because I'm doing this you know people think I look good and you know all this is paying off really well and so you know it's interesting how when people at least for me and like my body dysmorphia and eating disorder like what really I think fed it was people giving those Mm -hmm. compliments and it boosting my ego and being like oh, well, they think I look good now. Just wait until my calories drop down to 800 calories a day. Right, exactly. And I lose, yep. like, 5 more percent body fat. Really like, like, photosynthesizing. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, just wait, you know. And then, so I always find it interesting how, you know, because I feel like social media right now, thankfully, is moving into a more stronger weight training, you know, be bigger type of mindset for women opposed to like be as small as you can, eat as little as you can, like follow this juice cleanse diet if you want to lose weight, you know, it's no, it's like, no, eat your protein, you know, take your creatine. Like I see that shift and I'm so happy for that because hopefully with that shift as well, like women and young girls start to learn that it is okay to eat more food and it is okay to have strength-based goals, you know, even if it does change how your body looks. And I think it's important to have, you know, like full body acceptance of going through different phases of how your body looks and understanding that like your body isn't just meant to look a certain way. It's it's essentially a vessel to carry you through all these experiences and like shifting the mindset to be more so of like, my body, like, I don't have to love my body every day. I don't have to like what I see every day, but I am proud of it every day because of what it what it puts up with that I put it through, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember looking at the uh, the photos from Reindeer Gains, and there are, like, some photos where I'm looking at myself, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I was like, I don't look as lean as I normally do, or I don't, you know? And that was, like, my initial thought process. I was like, no, Natalie, stop it. Like, you're fine. Like you've never been this strong before. You've never been able to do all the RX movements listed on the comp before. You've never done this before. And you're only able to do that because you've been focusing on eating more for training versus eating for aesthetics. And, you know, there might be a fine line of like those coexisting, but, you know, I would much rather take 
the body that I had during the reindeer games competition, even, you know, with it possibly weighing more, um, or being like not as lean than the body that I had with bodybuilding because of the freedom that this body allows me to have when it comes to food, when it comes to experiences, you know, all those things. And I'm just very happy for like myself that my mindset has gotten away from the, oh, I need to eat to be smaller. And it's more like, no, I want to eat to be better, not mm-hmm. just smaller. Right. Yeah. And I think you talked about a really important point of people giving you that praise whenever you do look a certain way. And it's like whenever you're not as lean, you're like, oh, you're not getting as much praise because I'm, I don't have a six pack or whatever it is. So it like creeps on you like that. And then people also define you as that. Like, for example, whenever I was in bodybuilding, people looked at me as like, oh, Gabby, the bodybuilder or Gabby that does powerlifting, you know? So it's like, you kind of become defined by that. And you identify. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's totally. not all who you are. You know, it's like, I like to do other forms of exercise and I'm not defined by a six pack or big glutes or big shoulders <laughs> or I'm yeah. more than this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It gets very superficial. Yes. For sure. exactly. Culture is changing. It's still very yeah. superficial, yes. but at least it's heading in a direction of um, something that's not sustainable without fuel. So like putting on muscle mass, which is now like becoming trendy, mm-hmm. is something that you can't do unless you eat. So yeah, it's changing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, the outside motivators of social media, people and all the comments that they make and like how people identify you, which sometimes turns into how you identify yourself, which is crazy, yeah. but it does, it influences people so heavily, mm-hmm. especially now with how big social media is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When when you started CrossFit, did you still have like some of that restrictive eating and body dysmorphia going on? Probably a little bit. I had set, um, so what kind of like the changing point for me was when I got pregnant, thankfully with Jack. I had tried to kind of make a recovery prior to that and had put on enough weight to get pregnant, surprisingly and accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I told myself in the pregnancy, okay, you're, it's like a hard line in the sand. You will never count calories again because you cannot restrict like a baby. That's just absolutely insane. So then I stuck with that postpartum, but I definitely still had some like body dysmorphia issue, I think. Mm-hmm. Even though I wasn't using calorie counting to combat that, I was definitely like after CrossFit, for example, I would like go run because <laughs> that's what I was used to doing. And I wasn't getting my heart rate up to 180 in my strength training. So I would go try and achieve that somewhere else. So there's still a lot of um, control issue going on there and then definitely trying not to get too bulky and stay lean and whatnot, Mm -hmm. which over time gradually changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you feel like when you, do you feel like CrossFit helped at all like with your body dysmorphia or anything like that? Oh yeah, big time. Cause it it changed my goal. Mm -hmm. I'm super goal driven and I think a lot of people are like this where if you have a goal, whatever that may be, then you're going to just like bulldoze everything out of the way, including like including common sense to get to your goal. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, initially I didn't want to compete, but then once I started wanting to compete in CrossFit, I was like, well, you can't do any of these movements. So you're going to have to like find a way to get a little bit stronger and more mobile to be able to do it. And I realized over time, the more I fueled myself, the better I was able to perform. Mm-hmm. So it was a positive feedback from that. Yeah. Yeah. And, Go ahead. 
Oh, that was all. Okay. <laughs> I feel like whenever you're more focused on the performance aspect, like the aesthetics come and like kind of just focusing on the mental health aspect and kind of being in tune with whenever you're hungry, you eat. Whenever you're not hungry, you stop, you know, like the aesthetics come with that. And that's a big change I noticed whenever I came out of bodybuilding is this focusing on your mental health and focusing on just getting some type of movement. It doesn't have to be like super intense or going for a five mile run and then lifting, you know, like if you just focus on taking care of your body and eating the foods that make you feel good, then the aesthetics come. Yeah. And I feel like with, and I've kind of talked about this before, but it's fun to talk about it now because you also do CrossFit too, is um, like I feel something that really saved me with my eating disorder and my body dysmorphia was CrossFit because when I finished my second show, it was actually Gary and I were flying back home from Vegas and he had been wanting me to join CrossFit for quite a while and I'd gone to like a few classes but I was not eating enough to do CrossFit and so anytime I do a class I was like I'm gonna pass out like I feel horrible um and it's messing up like my training my you know meals like my hunger was more intense you know because the workouts were more intense and um when we were flying back Garrett looks at me and he's like I bought you a membership to Big Barn you're starting CrossFit (laughs) and I was like what? I was very scared because, like, I had gone, you know, to a few classes beforehand, and I had seen, you know, all the women there, and they were all just so strong and, like, just such a different world than what I was used to. Yeah. And so I was super intimidated, and I was like, oh, I don't know, like, whatever. And he's all, like, take your time. He's like, you don't have to, like, we don't have to land and you go straight to your first class. He's like, you know, take some time to heal, get some more food in your body, and then he's like, I think it'll be really good for you. And he was right because that's awesome. I feel like, well, I remember like, I think my first class after my last show that I went to, it was like a really hot summer or I don't even remember, but it was like, I remember everybody had their shirts off yep. and I just thought that was so interesting because they didn't care what they looked like, you know, Yeah, everyone, everyone just had their shirts off. And I was just like, what is going on? And I was standing there, like, you know, post-show, still tan, still lean, and I was like, I don't, I can't even take my shirt off. Like, I'm not, because I've gained some, you know, weight after competing. I was like, I can't do this. I was like, I, yeah. I was like, I want to get to this point where I don't care what my body looks like that day. If I want to take my shirt off mid-workout, I'll take my shirt off mid-workout. And it was just interesting, because, like, the gym that I was at for bodybuilding, it, you know, everybody, it was a pretty close gym. It was Liberty Gym. And so, you know, I'd go there and train at the time when, like, my friends would be, and they'd always, you know, be asking, like, oh, like, what's your diet plan now? Like, what's your exercise split? Like, how far are you out from your comp? And, you know, I'd tell them, like, oh, you know, I'm on, like, 900 calories a day, like, no carbs. And they're, like, oh, they're, like, oh, sick. Like, that, they're, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's winner mentality right there. And I was, like, heck, yeah, like, I'm, yeah. (laughs) And, um, and it was interesting because, like, being there, you know, granted, when I was training at Liberty, this was at, like, when my brain was all messed up in regards to eating and body image and stuff. And so I remember like there'd be times where I'd go into the gym and I'd be like practicing my posing and I would just be like, I don't look as lean as I should for how I'm eating or I don't look as lean as I should for, you know, being X amount of weeks out from the comp. So I'm going to start wearing baggier clothes so that no one can like gossip that, you know, I'm not eating properly or I'm not doing enough or I don't look stage ready. And you know, I think that probably is what, like, brought forth the, like, bulimia aspect of my eating disorder of, like, well, I'm doing everything that I can, so what else can I do to help? And mm-hmm. so, you know, insert that. But 
Um, so it was just interesting, like, being in that type of environment where everybody was, like, clothes on and, like, you know, trying to hide their package, like, the mm-hmm. body, like, the stage package, um, just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, both. <laughs> but, like, you know, like, there'd be thing. other girls, like, that were com- competitors, too, and, like, they'd be, like, like, they'd stay in their hoodies or, like, oversized shirts because, like, if any of the girls that w- that were in the gym they were competing against, like, they didn't want those girls to see, like, what they looked like before stage or whatever. And so it was just so interesting, like, being conditioned to that and, you know, associating, like, how good I'm doing based off of, you know, kind of what we talked about, like, the feedback of other people of, like, oh, yeah, you're sticking to 900 calories a day. Heck, yeah, you're definitely going to win. And then that feeds you, and you're like, yeah, you're right. I need to do less than 900, or I need I to stick. I do better than Yeah, like yeah. 900, all right. Okay, they think that's impressive. Just wait till I, you know, drop to eight. Yeah. In the, in the backwards way. And, yeah, and kind of, yeah. like, cynical, too. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, switching to... CrossFit where like everybody regardless of what their bodies look like shirtless you know girls in like these tiny <laughs> tiny shorts and um me I'm not one of those but um you know I remember talking to like uh one of the girls and she was just telling me about like what she was eating that day what she was planning on having after you know I was like some pasta heavy meal or something and I was just like you can eat that and look like how you do and she's like oh yeah like you need a feel your workouts like how do you think I'm so strong type of thing and I was like oh okay that's kind of making sense mm-hmm. culture shock yeah. yeah or like even like there would be some people and I know this is kind of popular powerlifting too but like there'd be some people at the gym who are just like eating freaking sour patch kids yeah. in between like strength and the metcon and I'm just like what the heck <laughs> like it's not rice on the no list previously <laughs> yeah what is going on no, I'm like yeah. what is this witchcraft yeah. <laughs> And so I think it's, like, that's why I'm, a, like, I stand behind CrossFit, that it helps with that, because it is such a body-positive gym, where it's, like, hey, mm-hmm. if you're coming to work out and you're coming to show up for yourself, we don't care what you look like, we don't care what you're wearing, we don't care what you eat, mm-hmm. like, as long as you're here dedicating this hour to, like, bettering your health and yourself, celebrate however you want, if that's being topless, cool, if that's yeah. being hot or shirtless, <laughs> whatever you're talking about. <laughs> You want the top top? Everybody take off their clothes. Everyone supports you. (laughs) And you'll get compliments. Doesn't matter what you look like. Someone's going to say something positive. Yeah. And and that's the one thing that I love, too, is, like, I think in all my time of being in CrossFit, I've only ever gotten, like, a few body-based compliments, like, how it looks. It's more like, oh, my God, like, those pull-ups look great today. Or, like, you're looking super strong. Or, like, did you, you know, is that heavier weight on your squat than normal? Like, it's all compliments based around performance. Yeah. And I think that personally is just so much more rewarding than you know like oh my god you can see your ab veins yeah <laughs> like, oh yeah totally whatever it is mm-hmm. yeah the community too is just so amazing because well, like I was fortunate to like in my time of struggle I had a lot of support at home like with Matt and he was a huge um factor of how I got out of all that but like also having once I was kind of starting to get momentum in the right direction having a CrossFit community where like what you said, people will compliment you on like, oh, your gymnastics skills are coming on. Like you're doing a lot of work mm-hmm. and they'll compliment your work ethic and your consistency or just that you even showed up because they're happy to have like a, mm-hmm. a companion to go through this miserable workout with or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the community is incredible and it's a totally different culture. It's so supportive. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of other girls and guys too in not that there's anything wrong with standard gyms, but just in different communities don't have that. Mm-hmm. And it's so beneficial. It changes everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially, I feel like, for, I mean, granted, I haven't really been in a standard gym, like, consistently for a long time, so I don't know if it's changed. But at least, like, when I was going to Liberty and stuff, like, all the girls at Liberty were mean to each other. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, they would be very, like, 
I guess, catty towards each other and stuff. And, and so that was just really like, that also kind of fed the ego a little bit too. Cause it's like, Oh, these girls don't like me because like the guys at the gym are talking to me. I must be doing something right. I must be looking, you know, a, a good yeah. way or whatever. That they would be threatened yeah. and not like you. Yeah. And so then that kind of feeds it, but in a negative way. <laughs> right. It's like, who can be better? Who can one up kind of thing instead yeah. of like, how can we work together to all be badass? Yeah. Like, it's just totally it's such a toxic mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did becoming a PA and kind of learning the medical side of how the body work kind of change your perspective on nutrition and training or? Um, I think a little bit. Um, PA school doesn't focus I think enough on the nutrition side of things. I wish that we did. It's starting to shift that way. I think Mm -hmm. they're doing more of that kind of thing, but, um, more of that, I think was just my personal interest in nutrition, Mm -hmm. which I took in a negative light and then I brought it back and now it's going in a positive direction. Um, it was like knowledge is power, but it's how you use it. And so initially I use it as like, how can I avoid calories by eating everything sugar free to like deplete my body as much as possible and have a leg gap. Versus now, it's like, it looked like a Victoria's Secret model, which is always like the goal back then. Oh, yeah. And now, it's like, um, I do see it reinforced in my work because I do surgery. So, like, there are some people that um, I think a lot of their health conditions come from being either overweight or struggling with food. Could honestly be in either direction. Um, But it's been reinforced because Mm -hmm. of my job. But I didn't learn a whole lot of it in my education, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. I feel like... Coming from um, PT school, it's kind of a weird perspective, but doing like the cadaver labs and then, yeah, yeah, people that died from like emphysema or um, people that were obese and seeing the different bodies and how their organs were or just their overall health was kind of gives you like a different, and surgery and things like that, gives you a different perspective on how incredible and resilient and amazing the body is and like how much you want to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, what's crazy, just because you said that cadaver lab made me think of like looking at the outside of a person's body versus the inside is insane. And in surgery, I've noticed that, that you can tell the people that take care of their body because externally, a lot of people, especially in clothes, it can be kind of misleading. They look relatively healthy. If you saw them at a clinic appointment, you'd be like, oh, yeah, they're taking care of themselves. And then you get them in the OR and you like put in a port and their fascia has no integrity at all. Their tissue is so weak and they just you can tell by looking at their body, their vasculature is poor, maybe they have a lot of internally stored fat around their organs, or they just don't look healthy or well circulated. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it definitely, it makes a big difference. I think that people, I wish they could see what we see as far as like their overall health and what their body really looks like and can can do. Mm -hmm. This might be a weird question, but like Mm -hmm. if you are someone getting surgery done, can you request pictures of your insights? Yeah, they don't routinely do that. I think, honestly, we have the technology to record it. Um, I don't know if they do that at um, the facility I work at, but we definitely take pictures sometimes, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be so much more, yeah, like beneficial to in a patient perspective, and maybe some people definitely, a lot of people probably don't want to see that. Yeah, they're weird enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but I feel like it just gives you good, like, data about, oh, this is what my body looks like, and then to be more educated around however you're looking internally and then you can educate them around like look at your fascia or your yeah. your vasculature isn't as strong as it could be here's a, a referral or whatever it is to kind of lead people in the right direction but yeah. yeah I think it gets nerdy really quick so people have to like take an interest but I think they would if they could see what yeah. we're seeing yeah mm-hmm. like I'm personally a big visual learner so right. like I would love 
pictures. Yeah. Like, if you ever get surgery, where I can see. <laughs> <laughs> right, can I just stay awake during my surgery and just like to watch. Peek a over me? <laughs> if you ever get surgery with us, I will record it for you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, can you hand me my intestine? <laughs> just want to see how heavy it is. <laughs> Feels nice. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I that's a really good point, you know, because like, obviously genetics do play, you know, some extent to how your body looks, how that's it performs, stuff like that, and you know. It is interesting because you could have someone who, like, according to our standards or BMI or whatever it may be, like, they may be overweight, and but then you cut them open and, like, uh, you do surgery on them. And, like, you know, you said, like, the um, fat around the organs, you know, it may not be as much as someone who is thinner, but it's just, like, they don't take care of their body in the same way, and their genetics lean more towards, you know, not displaying that like those negative health aspects on the mm-hmm. outside, right. it's more internal and like vice versa and stuff. And so it's just so fascinating how we don't really know how healthy someone is, um, you know, just based off of how they look or what they put on social media or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I find it funny I, a lot of times like from family members and friends or just like strangers and stuff, um, you know, when I talk about kind of like some of the foods that I eat and stuff, like, well, aren't you nutritionist? Like, why do you eat? cheeseburgers why do you have pizza you can have that like you drink alcohol and all this stuff and I'm just literally like, had one last night yep. yeah <laughs> like it's called balance people like yeah. you know so it's just fascinating like I feel like when people find out you know what is important to you like I always talk about this on social media that like I have pasta every week because I love it, I love it. and it makes me happy mm-hmm. and granted I've found ways through trial and error of like adding more nutritional value to my pasta whether that's making my sauce at home whether that's you know cooking my pasta and bone broth whatever it may be but like I've found a way of one you know understanding my body and like my eating habits and my hunger levels to one be able to like have pasta and enjoy it and not no overeat guilt. it to the point where I'm like, because pasta is a very like hyper palatable food that's easy to overconsume, especially like if it is, you know, like an Alfredo sauce that's high in carbs, high in fats, you know, things like that. Like it's chemically designed to make you want to eat more. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like understanding that, like you said, you know, kind of getting nerdy and understanding like, all right, this sauce, like it's made up of, you know, these types of fats, it's made up of this, blah, blah, blah. Like how is that going to affect my chemical messaging in my brain to my gut to tell me how to eat, you know? And it's kind of like, I feel like, you know, education is power. You mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like when it comes to nutrition, like taking or going more in depth for everybody who has an interest in it or just like in school, whatever it may be, of really showing like how to make those changes so that you have control over like your own hunger levels and how food can affect that and how some foods can mask your hunger levels or other ones can, you know, expedite or whatever it may be so that you can make like those informed choices around you know what, yeah, I do want to have pizza and wine tonight, but I know, like, I'm aware that due to this combination of, like, nutrients and chemicals and stuff, like, there's a very likely chance that I may overeat it, you know, and one, either being okay with that and understanding that it's okay, you know, to have that every now and then, yeah, Yeah. or asking yourself just a simple question of, like, how do I add more nutritional value to this, you know, maybe instead of just doing, like, cheese pizza, let's throw, like, some meat toppings and some vegetable toppings, you know, some things to help, exactly, Mm -hmm. meat and, like, meat lovers and veggie lovers combined, yeah, so that you do have, like, more saturation and stuff, and so I think it's just, like, I'm glad to hear that, you know, kind of, like, the PA and medical school and that stuff is going more in-depth into nutrition, because I can't tell you how many clients I work with with their doctors are, like, oh, you need to lose weight, why don't you just eat 1,100 calories? Right. Or you want to lose weight, why don't you just get on Ozempic? Or you want to lose weight, or like, 
Oh, your BMI. <laughs> yes, it makes me cringe. Oh, same. Or like, oh, it's like, oh, your BMI shows that you're morbidly obese. All right, why don't we just like, whatever it may be, and like BMI is such an outdated way of measuring. Like, according yeah. to BMI, I'm overweight. Yeah, oh, short. Yeah. How about take away all your muscle mass and then you'll be yeah. within range? That's yeah. just insane. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's frustrating. It's like skin. Like yeah. nutrition is so important. Like there's literally like you can literally use nutrition to turn on and off gene expression in a day-to-day basis, but also like in utero too. Like that's such a cool research field of like, hey, if we feed the mom these types of foods in a controlled clinical setting, what gene expression is turned on in the baby compared to these mothers who aren't fed these foods? Like food can literally change and you know influence like your DNA and stuff like that. And so it's like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't we take more time to implement it into a, like a day-to-day thing so people aren't so confused on what to get at the grocery store or what to order or how to eat for themselves. Right. And it takes work, too. Yeah. Exactly. People don't want to people don't want to work. Mm-hmm. They want a hill or whatever. Instant yep. gratification. Instant gratification mm-hmm. and the easy quick fix and it's also about money and mm-hmm. the corruption stuff because Oh yeah. Yeah, cuz all the companies that do hire these like high-tech engineers to like find the perfect crunch or find the perfect they really sweet do. And savory <laughs> to like make people want their brand, you know, like all that stuff that goes into the psychology behind food is super interesting, but it's like you said, knowledge is power and like the more that people could be educated on, okay, I may eat a little bit more of this because it's literally designed for our brains to want more of it and for yeah. us to kind of become like addicted to it. Kind of like sugar is kind of like a drug, you know, it's right. like it changes chemically within inside of us and makes us want more and makes us crave less nutritious food. So if people were more educated around that, then it would become less of like self-destruction and more understanding that this is like chemically designed to alter my brain. Right. You know, it's, it's not my fault. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I know there's so much that goes into it like and people's I think it's it's shifting the right direction but it's going to be a slow road like for example this last weekend I was just thinking when we were talking like I remember someone asked me they're like do you ever eat a carb and I was like that I'm kind of like I want to be flattered but at the same time I just like want to put my head in my hands and shake my head because like of course I eat a carb like how could I do these workouts how could I survive a day See, people don't understand that they carbs don't understand. are you know the like the, the fastest main. they're the criminal the main yeah like and it's not poor carbs like it's of not course, even their yeah. fault it's you know it's like yeah it's you know carbohydrates as themselves are so important for everything in your body it's your body's preferred method of energy it's the quickest form of energy also like for the brain for most people to function regularly the brain needs at least like 120 grams of glucose a day yeah and most like you know maybe some people are getting that more of that you know people who are scared of carbs probably aren't getting that so it's like no wonder you have poor brain cognition or remembering things or yeah you're irritable irritable. like Mm -hmm. it's because you're not eating enough carbohydrates like carbs aren't evil you know i think people just think of carbs as like bread pasta pizza you know those things that are hyper palatable not like actual carbohydrates Mm -hmm. which you know are just like grains and these things that you can definitely eat within control it's just so like she said you know there's people whose jobs are to design like let's take this carb and pair it with this type of sugar and this much fat and boom, the brain wants it all the You'll time. You'll eat the whole loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah. feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. 
Did having kids kind of change your perspective on fitness and nutrition? Because I feel like when you have kids, like you, you have this new human in front of you and you're kind of in charge of kind of guiding their path and like teaching them because they're learning by watching you, you know? So it's like, I think it's a little bit less, it's still common in men to have body dysmorphia and issues around food, but it's a little bit less than women. Um, but having two boys, have you kind of changed your perspective on nutrition and yeah. having like the right amounts of foods and education for them? Oh yeah. Like I, I really love it. I wish when they were babies, I was really all about it because that's their like introduction to nutrition. Yeah. So it's really exciting and they have no opinion. And then at some point they develop opinions and it gets harder. But the interesting thing is like, we have vastly different nutritional needs, like me and the boys, like Matt, for example, if I'm making dinner, he's going to eat like eight times the amount of rice or something that I am. And that's fine. It doesn't mean I can't have rice, but he's going to need more. And that is normal. Um, mm-hmm. The boys, they're going to, as they grow, they're going to need a lot more mm-hmm. um, just to sustain their like daily function. But yeah, setting the example for them that like very small goals, like try to eat a carbohydrate, a fat and like fruit or vegetable at each meal and a protein Like, just them understanding, like, these are the nutrients that we try and include, and, like, nothing is necessarily bad or good. It's just what you're trying to adopt into your diet Mm -hmm. and how it makes you feel. Like, if you eat, like, a good amount of, like, carbohydrate, some fats, and a protein, maybe fruit or veggie before you go do your football game, how did you feel in your football game? Like, you survived the whole game with no issues. You weren't, like, crashing afterwards, and you feel great. Mm -hmm. Um... So, yeah, there's been a lot of, like, education for them. Jack is seven, so he's old enough that I've tried to, like, rope him in a little bit and, like, get him engaged. Um, For a while, I had him cook with me one day a week. I've fallen off a little bit, but I want to get back to that because he asks a ton of questions. They're super interested. Yeah. Um, A lot of little kids are, like, just crazy with the amount of why, why, what does that mean, how come? Mm -hmm. So it's a good opportunity when they're little to, like, really get them involved in their own health and like how that affects their whole life, their mm-hmm. whole body function. Yep. Um, but having the education is more helpful to do that. And I think a lot of people, they don't have that background to be able to like give all that education to their kids, but yeah. hopefully one day we'll get there. Yeah. I think you've talked about it a lot too. Like people that don't have the education, um, growing up, they're like, finish all your food and then you can have dessert. Even if they're yeah. not hungry you know like it's like you're teaching your kid not to listen to the body cues and the hunger cues you know so it's like with a treat as a reward exactly yeah, I'm guilty we've done that but yes yeah. I don't think that's and the best I, way yeah. but yeah mm-hmm. I don't think it's yeah. the best way mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting because like if you think about it you know our body is designed to tell us how much food we need when we need to eat um, however though we've gotten you know just into this time and place where food's so accessible it's so delicious it's so readily available that it's very easy to not be able to identify those hunger cues. You know, like a lot of people, when your stomach starts to grumble or you kind of feel like that empty pit feeling or stomach pain, you're like, oh my God, I'm starving. I need to eat right now. It's like, those are actual normal hunger cues, but we just have gotten so used to having food at any time that we want that when we actually reach our hunger, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. Yeah, panic. (laughs) And it's so interesting, like watching kids eat because like, you know, I've got two young nephews and so one's, like a little over a year and the other one is seven. And so it's just like seeing them eat side by side is so interesting and how like in tune they are with their bodies in their own ways, you know? And 
they'll be like done with their food and there might still be some food on their plate and stuff. And, you know, my sister will be like, oh, okay, well, are you finished? And, and they're like, yeah. And she's like, are you sure? Like, you're not hungry? And, you know, the seven-year-old will kind of sit there and be like, yeah, no, I'm okay. And she's like, all right. And then, you know, go on. And it's like, I feel like adults can learn so much from that. Of Like, it's okay to lay food on your plate. I mean, obviously there might be some times where like encouraging them to eat more is beneficial, but it's just so interesting how like when we're so young, we're so in tune with our body and we're, we're not even aware of it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Jesse has taught us a lot about this. Huh? Yeah. 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 No, that's really cool. And, um, yeah, I just think it's so interesting how, like, just looking at how that progresses, you know, like if you like personally, like when I kind of reflect on my eating habits throughout my whole life, you know, like I feel like it was around middle school when I really just ditched like any awareness of my body and hunger and I think it was more like social because all the yeah. girls I was hanging out with were super thin um and I was always kind of like the bigger friend of my friend group and so I would only eat when they ate because in my head I was like if I eat when they eat I'll look like them mm-hmm. and so a lot of times I'd be like skipping lunch completely or not eating dinner or you know whatever it may be and even though like I'd be so hungry I'd be like well I can't do that because my friends that are smaller than me aren't eating so like why should I be eating right like you feel like you're yeah. doing it wrong because other people are doing it differently mm-hmm. yeah that's crazy and that's been hard too I feel like with like you know being married with Garrett and stuff like granted he does eat you know a pretty decent amount and there are a lot of times like how you said with Matt where you know, I'll be making food and I'll think that this food will last us a few days and it'll last us like <laughs> two meals because <laughs> he has so much and he needs that much. But then there's other times where he's not hungry and I'm hungry. And it's been a weird thing of like, oh, I'm hungry. And he's like, okay, well, I'm not. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not. I'm like, no, right. you're hungry now. Like, go eat food. Like, you, yeah. it's okay if you have more food in the day than your significant other. You yes, know, because you're hungry at a different time. Yeah, yeah this is, that's a hard thing. I feel sure. like that's like a toxic thing that's not <laughs> talked about enough because it's yeah, like, even like me and Ryan, it's like, oh, do you want ice cream? And he's like, no. I'm like, what? You, we you have to have dessert together. together? <laughs> like, well, then I can't have it. Which exactly. isn't true. It's mm-hmm. not true. Exactly. So we need to get out of that mindset. It's like, you don't need to do what other people are doing. Everybody has different needs and everybody has different chemically chemical and genetic bodies that make us either want to eat more, eat less, or have different needs for our body. Yeah, or yeah. maybe you just, like, maybe your serotonin's a little low and yeah. your brain knows that you can get that from ice cream. And so instead of making its own and putting that energy up, effort outwards, it's like, hey, just go get some ice cream. Boost <laughs> <laughs> your serotonin. I know. And, uh, yeah, I think, like you said, it is. I feel like a lot of times when it comes to that, where it's like, oh, my partner isn't hungry, I think it's because, like, we – have you know we grew up during the time where it was more like all the eating habits and stuff were more focused on eating to be smaller and so it was like oh well you know men are bigger stronger whatever they need x amount of food so like they need more food than women do and Mm -hmm. I think at some point that kind of got ingrained into like our subconscious of like okay I need to eat less than yeah a man or whatever and a lot of times like that food I feel like food pushing is a very strong way to describe it, but, like, that food pushing of, like, when I'm talking to Gary, I'm like, oh, like, do you want food? And he's like, no, I'm okay. I'm like, are you sure? And it's it's because of my own insecurity of eating more than yeah. him or having a meal at a different time. And it's like, no, it's okay to eat if yeah. you're hungry. Like, right. that's literally honor your body's cues. It's the best thing you could do. Really, yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and it's important also to learn, like, the difference between hunger and appetite, you know? I feel yes. like that word gets 
used interchangeably so often. And, you know, it's understanding that, like, appetite is a physiological, oh, wait, psychological, it's getting mixed up. <laughs> appetite is a psychological response, whereas, like, hunger is a physiological response. And you can have them happen at the same time, which is why I think they kind of get so mixed up, you know? Like, appetite is when, you know, you aren't hungry, but ice cream sounds good. Or, mm-hmm. you know, a little snack or a little dessert or something sounds good. And, you know, it's taking the time to, like, respond to that food stimulus instead of reacting to it. So, like, taking the time to be, like, why do I want ice cream right now? Like, what's going on? And regardless of what you choose to do, it doesn't really matter afterwards. Because what's important is you're bringing that awareness internally again of, like, okay, have I had enough food for the day? You know, like, maybe I didn't have as big of a lunch as normally, so I don't have enough energy to digest the dinner I just had. And that's why I want ice cream or maybe I'm about to start my period and due to like the metabolic changes in my body I could use a little bit more carbohydrates for you know all these hormones that carbs do help support um and or it's like maybe I'm just having like a tough day emotionally and you know kind of like I mentioned earlier like serotonin is a big hormone made in the gut from carbohydrates and so the brain knows like you can boost serotonin through foods so it might be like hey let's do that or maybe you just saw something for ice cream you're like Mm, ice cream is good I, I like ice cream, ice cream. <laughs> I want ice cream <laughs> and so like regardless of what you choose it's important to like respond to the food stimulus instead of reacting because then it puts the power over why you want that food and whether you have that food back in your hands instead of food controlling you yeah six practice yeah that's six practice. hard I'm still practicing this but that was one of the biggest things in like switching out of like eating disorder body dysmorphia into like fueling for function but it takes so much practice because initially like, your hunger cues are destroyed. Like, yeah. you have no idea when you're actually hungry. Maybe you're hungry all the time. Maybe you just feel like eating. Maybe you're full, but you still feel hungry. It's just so confusing. Mm-hmm. But, like, actually what you said with the kids, I was thinking, like, Jesse will fast for, like, he's our, our three-year-old, will fast for, like, two days. Mm-hmm. Like, he hardly eats anything at all. He's not hungry. Um, or maybe he has poor appetite, but it's tough because he's so little. And then he'll, like, have a huge meal, and he's, he's good to go for a little while. And Matt's kind of the same way, where he'll eat very very little throughout the day and then has a really big dinner and I'm the total opposite I like breakfast and I Mm want to wake up and eat immediately when I wake up and then snack throughout the day but learning like what works for your body and your hunger cues and what helps you to function best is like Mm -hmm. the the best thing you can do that's like the ultimate goal but it takes a lot Mm -hmm. of work Mm -hmm. I think people expect that to be like an immediate change Mm -hmm. if they just try it for like one day like that could take that takes years of practice and like yeah. repetition for your brain to have to process that. Yeah, it's a yeah. skill that you have mm-hmm. to learn. I mean, if you think back, like, but because I've been like intuitively eating, I think for probably five years now. Um, and before that, you know, if I looked back, I probably started, you know, suppressing my hunger cues and stuff in middle school. And so that's you know over a decade's worth. Of information that I've been telling my brain to ignore right and so yeah and so then trying to like relearn how to eat for my hunger cues and how to like regulate those hunger hormones and you know understand like what my hunger cues are because everybody's hunger cues will be different you know and so it's kind of figuring out like okay where is my what are my hunger cues you know what types of foods make me feel good all this stuff like that takes a lot of work and yeah, you work. mentioned it earlier how you know with your kids and I think this is such a beautiful thing you're doing where you kind of have your kids be like, okay, like we're gonna focus on having a macronutrient of each group, and then you're gonna go to your practice and see how that makes you feel. That's such an important thing, and that's something that I practice with my clients too. Of like, hey, 
instead of looking at it as like, oh, I have to eat like healthy foods or I have to be restricted or whatever, look at it as like, let's do it as an experiment. Yes. You know, if you meal prep for the week and you have food that's nutritious and that you want to eat, you know, planned and readily available, like how, one, you know, how much easier is your day-to-day life? Two, how much better do you feel? You know, how much more consistent are your bowel movements? All these things. Mm -hmm. And then it's bringing you awareness of like, oh, wow, actually this food does make me feel better. And then it makes it so much easier to continue with that habit because instead of doing it because you're being told to do it or you think that's what's right or whatever it may be, you're doing it because you have clear-cut data that it makes you feel better. And so it's like, wow, I was really feeling like garbage before, and this makes me feel good. I'm going to keep choosing the option that makes me feel good. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, but that's also hard to just get into that of, like, even recognizing that, like, hey, maybe what I'm eating and doing doesn't let me be the best that I can. Like, that's also a hard self-inwards reflection, too. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I love that you're doing that with your kids. It's good. Yeah. Jeff's almost, like, just barely at the age that we can, like, engage him to remember these things. But, like, even with something like candy like we'll let him do the opposite too like way overdo it this halloween was insane i've never let him go that hard on candy before and he ate i don't know how many pieces of candy it was insane there's wrappers everywhere and then he did he felt terrible he got a headache and he didn't feel like like too sick but he acknowledged even he was like oh i have a headache i'm like well maybe it's because you ate a ton of sugar and almost no water um and it's late or whatever so like seeing how foods affect them they can kind of start to get a grip on that like yeah a pretty young age, I think. Mm-hmm. We need to do it. I need to do it more even myself, yes. even though I really get, like enjoy that stuff. I need to keep doing that for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's important too, you know, both both sides. Figure out what foods, like, I call it like your red, yellow, green list, where whether it's like mental or you actually write it out, you know, pay attention to like what foods make you feel good or how much amount of it, you know, and like if you, every time you have like, I don't know, we'll just say dairy because it's like a common one for people, like every time that you have dairy, you have like gas and bloating then that might be a red food list, you know, let's maybe stay away from it if it causes you like that much discomfort and it's not worth it to you, Um, you know, and then maybe there's some foods where it's like, okay, like this amount of it doesn't make me feel not great, but if I have more than this, then that's when I start to feel kind of crappy and, you know, that could be like for sweets and stuff or alcohol. So like maybe that's a yellow food, you know, it's kind of like, it depends on, yeah, it depends (laughs) on the dose. Yeah, (laughs) and then the green food where it's like, no matter how much of it I have or, you know, whatever, like I feel good on it, I don't have any digestive issues, you know, maybe it's it's within my budget, it's easy to make, whatever it may be, like that would be a green list. And just kind of treating like nutrition as just information for your own owner's manual so you can see like how you function your best and you have that information instead of just like winging it every day and just kind of hoping that you don't feel like shit. Every yeah. Day. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> me, me and Matt were talking about this last night actually. Like, even something considered healthy, per se, like pinto beans. Mm-hmm. I can have about three of those and feel good. And that is it. That's like a red food. Like three individual <laughs> yeah. beans. Three individual pintos. <laughs> that is it. That is my cap. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's so different for everyone, too. And people like to follow things that are so pre-written, like this particular diet. Or, like, I'm supposed to eat, like, a Greek diet is considered healthy now. So, like, let me just follow a Greek diet. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that end up even though they're including healthy things being so restrictive or um like exclusive i guess in a way so yeah like the feedback of it is really what is important the most important yeah it's such a beautiful way to become empowered within your body and within 
education around nutrition is because like you said, someone, pinto beads aren't bad for you, but it's like someone could probably have a whole bowl of pinto beans and you have three (laughs) and you're like done, you know? So it's not happening. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a great way to just, like you said, use it as, as an experiment and really be intuitive of like, whenever I have this certain meal, how is my body responding? Because same thing with say, something like broccoli, that, that's something that's super hard to digest. Right. Someone could have a cup of that and be totally fine. It's great for the digestion. But another person, it's a lot harder for their body to actually break down the, mm-hmm. that type of fiber. Yeah, exactly. And it's, that's just stay away from it, you know? So everybody's body is different and become empowered by listening to those cues and honoring those cues. Yeah, I think it's also a good thing to learn, like, what biofeedback is, you know, and how to interpret it and how to understand why it changes you know and like biofeedback is literally just how your body you know has its checks and balances all its red flags green flags all its like engine warnings all that stuff and it's like I think people think of biofeedback as just like gut you know digestion like you know bowel movements gas bloating all that stuff but it's like you know, biofeedback. Yeah, flat stomach. I'm going with a flat stomach today. Um, and you know, biofeedback can reach as far as like your motivation. It can reach as far as libido, sleep, you know, all these other factors that we don't think food contributes to, but it does contribute to, you know, like with motivation, you know, if you're, it's a very fine line with motivation. It's very hard to determine like, okay, is this actually a physiological response to my eating or is it just because I don't want to do it, right. you know? And so it's kind of being, learning, you know, first off how to be completely transparent and honest with yourself. But, you know, like with motivation, if you've been under eating or eating, you know, poor quality foods that doesn't really do anything for your body, then your brain is like, okay, well, why, why, why are we going to go run, you know, a 10K on like 800 calories? We don't want to do that. So what the brain's going to do is it's going to try and, you know, decrease your motivation and desire to do things so that you just rest and the body can try and heal. Like our brain's main concept for us is self-preservation. And a lot of times food, you know, influences that because like, although our body is very advanced and it's come a very long way, it also hasn't in some aspects. Like it doesn't understand that there's like intentional food restriction nowadays, you know, in our, like in our brain and body's mind, it's just like, ah, shit, the crops didn't make it through the winter. We have no food type of thing. Let's reserve energy. And so it's like, it's learning, you know, okay, am I actually unmotivated today because what I, what I'm about to do is hard and I don't want to do it or am I unmotivated today because I haven't eaten enough food or I haven't had enough you know vitamins and minerals or I haven't had enough water or like all these things that actually influence our brain to be like you know what let's not go do that today on that amount of energy that you've given us let's self-preserve that one (laughs) thank you (laughs) let's self-preserve for a little bit and let's just like lay on the couch and just rest you know we don't have enough to do that and so it's learning and understanding how food affects like literally everything from how you feel, yeah. how you sleep, hormone function, everything. Mm-hmm. How you treat your family. Yeah, everything. that too. Yeah. Yes. If you're super irritable all the time or if you get told like, oh, you should go like relax or something, maybe you should look at your food intake. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And so, Matt knows. Yeah, exactly. Um, something about, like you said, the body is so efficient, but something that affects that in today's age is like, we're so distracted and we're either like watching TV while we're eating or we're do driving while we're eating. That's something that I did while I was competing is like I would try to scarf down this food while I'm 
driving and I'm like changing while I'm driving, you know, and it's like, I'm so distracted and I'm not being intentional as I'm eating. So it's like, I don't even allow my body to be as efficient as it can be because I'm not honoring my intuition and I'm just doing a task while I'm doing another task. And there's no compartmentalization with my brain to understand that, okay, you're full or okay, you feel bloated or whatever it is. You know, it's like, we don't allow ourselves to use our body as efficient as it can be because we're so distracted and we are watching TV or on social media or we're trying to follow an influencer's diet (laughs) rather than just listening to what our body is telling us. I do think if you're doing like parasympathetic based activities, Mm -hmm. which are so for people listening, like parasympathetic, it's type of nervous system that you have that's responsible for like resting, digesting, healing, um, recovery and then you've got your sympathetic nervous system which is meant for like fight or flight adrenaline it ramps up everything you really don't want to be eating when you're in your sympathetic nervous system because that just messes up your digestion and your body's efficiency like absorbing nutrients all that stuff um and so i feel like there you can get to a point in skillfulness of intuitive eating to where you can be doing something parasympathetic based like watching tv or whatever it may be while eating and still be able to check in with your body but once again that's a hard skill to learn it's something that you have to learn how to kind of combine both to where the distraction of the tv isn't taking away from being able to check in with your body and see like where your saturation levels are at because it's very easy to eat past your saturation cue let alone it's very hard for people to just like identify it in general but yeah if you're like driving or watching like things that kind of stress you out or if you're working and stuff it gets a little bit harder because your digestive cues are being confused due to like the adrenaline and the that nervous system that you're in so it's like it's it's definitely possible to learn that but once again it's a very hard skill to learn Mm -hmm. and it's still even something like now that's kind of something I'm experimenting with is like okay how where is my level of distraction to where I can no longer eat to like my 80% full and then once that's identified, be like, okay, so we don't do that while I eat. Like, you know, I can watch a movie while I eat and stuff. No and stressful movies while we're eating. Yeah, no, no scary movies. <laughs> I way overeat when that happens. Yes. <laughs> you yeah, just keep like, going. Oh it's either God. you undereat because you're stressed or you're way overdoing it. I'm the mm-hmm. overdoer. Yeah. Is that just with movies or just in general? I think with stress, that's stress is a weird one because some people, like, cannot eat when they're stressed. It depends on the type, too. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm fighting with Matt, I definitely don't want to eat. But if I'm, like, watching a stressful, scary movie, I'm going to be downing an entire bag of chips or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, it just depends. It uh-huh. depends. Do you want to know why? Yeah, tell me. <laughs> the cortisol? Yeah. I need to, well, like, boost my of. blood sugar. <laughs> kind of, yeah. yeah. Well, like, with scary movies, it actually, like, stimulates that adrenaline, and so you actually can burn calories while just watching a scary movie due to like the increase of blood flow, the adrenaline, yeah. heart beating, all that stuff. And so naturally your body could be like, oh, we're kind of hungry again to do that. But also, like you said, it's when we're stressed out, sometimes just the motion of like chewing and clenching our jaw and releasing or like crunchy things can help kind of bring that down. But um, one of the other reasons and kind of more so like the main reason, especially with the like appetite going away is our brain or our gut mirrors our brain and the emotions that it feels. And so if you're feeling a type of stress that comes as a depressant, then everything in your digestive system slows down. You know, the rate at which your stomach empties into your small intestine slows down. The motility of your intestines slow down. Um, you know, everything just decreases. Whereas if you're feeling a type of stressor that is more like an upper, more anxiety-based, the opposite happens. Everything speeds up. 
um, as an attempt to kind of clear out the digestive totally system in sense. case there's, you know, an actual like threat threat. That's another thing our body hasn't identified the difference between threats to our body. Every threat is the same and it usually comes with the same response. So if yeah. like you're doing something or feeling something that causes that type of upper threat, you know, like it makes you feel anxious or like just more wired up and stuff as an attempt of once again, self-preservation, your gut is speeding everything up to empty that food out so that there's no like need for blood flow and energy going to your digestive organs. And it can go to like extremities, muscles, muscles, things for fighting, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Brain, heart, all that stuff. Right. And so that's usually why is like, it depends on what type of stress and emotional aspect it's causing. And then your brain or your gut responds to that. And I just think that's so cool. That is crazy. Yeah. Kind of backtracking to your experience with an eating disorder and body dysmorphia and like kind of going, because you started swimming. Is that like kind of? Yeah, that was like growing up through college. Mm -hmm. College I swim. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you kind of start getting an eating disorder during that time or like what was your experience with your eating disorder? Um, if you don't mind, if you're comfortable talking about oh, yeah. the experience with that. I'm an open book now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't used to be. I was like very much like people pleaser. I still, I still am, but mm-hmm. it's come down quite a bit. Yeah. The walls have come down. So with swimming, no. And it's funny because I was crazy lean during swimming. I was really small. So you're just burning thousands and thousands of calories, even just from thermoregulation, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't very defined, but I was small. And then it wasn't until I quit swimming because I was able to consume so many calories without really paying attention to my nutrition or fueling myself probably sufficiently. Um, But when I quit doing that and went to doing absolutely nothing and got a little bit chubby for me really quick, um, that was when I was like, okay, I need to start doing something to kind of lose this excess body fat I've put on and get some muscle back because I'm just not healthy and I don't like the way I look, mostly cosmetic and vanity. Um, but I started doing like P90X insanity and then the running and the running took off because I used to be like probably the single worst runner on our team. I mean, dead last every single time. And then I started running somewhat excessively and routinely for years and I got a lot better. So that was motivating and also shrunk. So then that combination of like positive feedback. And then like we talked about, people would make comments like initially it was kind of positive, like, Oh wow, you've lost a lot of weight. And then it almost became not positive at some point, but I just kind of um, brushed it off because I was proud um, of, like, the work I had put in, I guess. It just became, like, a competitive um, individual goal. Like, can I run faster? Can I get leaner? Can I get smaller? Mm-hmm. Can I undereat even more tomorrow than I did today? Like, mm-hmm. and I'd be proud of that. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. Awesome. Well, not awesome. <laughs> awesome. Awesome That's to be out awesome of it. That like, got out of that. Yeah. It's, it's so hard. It and is it's so hard. And it's something that to talk about that like it's okay to if you have experienced body dysmorphia or eating disorder like if those it's always going to kind of be an underlying issue that may arise and it's okay but now that you're more aware of it you can have better control over it because there's some days that I look in the mirror or I'm eating a certain food and it's like I want to resort back to that like okay I need to eat this because I'm not going to eat it tomorrow or Mm -hmm. that was like my form of eating disorder. Take control. Yep, yeah. and now it's like I have the awareness to be like, okay, no, you can eat this tomorrow, eat till you're satisfied, and this food is always going to be here. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does get like a little bit desperate kind of like things that I would restrict. Like I would just crave them so excessively because they were so restricted. And then if I ever had it, I was like, okay, you can't have that again for like a year. 
or something. It's just crazy. And then it makes the brain want it even more. Oh, yeah. Then you're just obsessive. All you think Mm -hmm. about is food. All Mm -hmm. you think about. Um, or, or your exercise, if you're driven by exercise, like those two things is just all consuming, Mm -hmm. um, and getting out of that, like routed mindset that you've preached to yourself over and over and over under like moments of high stress too. It's just so, so deeply ingrained. It takes a lot of, of effort to undo all that. It doesn't happen overnight and it takes a long time to undo. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it kind of always stays there a little bit too but it's more you learn how to deal with it in a healthier way yeah because there's definitely like I personally have like trigger food still where you know every now and then I'm like I'll have them and I'm just like what oh my god I just ate all of that and I feel horrible now yeah I'm like why did I do that and then so like when I when that does happen I then encourage myself to like sit with it kind of figure out why I did that and then I actually will like force myself to go buy that same food again and do it and just be like granted probably like the next day or something but yeah. like, and be like all right you're only going to have like the serving size of it because you can have this food whenever you want it's not yeah. off limits food it's okay to have multiple days in a row it's not okay to eat so much that you now feel horrible physically and emotionally right and so you know it's it's those coping skills of learning how to deal with it in a healthier way um with the running you know when you were kind of being aware of that, like the running was kind of pushing you, um, do you, did you have to like take a break from running or is it like, does running still like ever be a trigger for you? Is it more like you're in a healthy place with that? Um, I think I'm in a healthy place with running. Um, but I did take a very long period of time where I didn't, um, time my runs, mostly postpartum. Um, cause it's just, I'm just really competitive so, with myself and I mean other people too, but very much with myself. Like I know what pace I used to hold for this run. I used to always go this time, no matter how good or bad I felt, I'd make it happen to go this time. So I kind of stopped timing my runs and even still now I don't time them very often, but I could, I don't think that would be a trigger. Um, but, um, running not so much. There are other things like uh, like more if you look in the mirror or a certain weight or other things that are more triggering than I think running was itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but counting calories is very triggering. So like I would never, um, and I still don't ever do that. Mm-hmm. Do I look at nutrition facts? Yes. Oh. All the time. Just cause I'm curious and I have always done that. It's kind of like a habit now. Yeah. Um, but I don't like total things up and say like, Oh my God, that donut you just ate was probably 1200 calories. Now you should probably go run 12 miles. Like, I don't do that anymore, but that would be triggering. Yeah, same. I realized through my first bodybuilding show that calorie were very hard for me. Um, so my second show, I was like, just tell me what to eat instead. And that yeah. was also a problem in itself. But same thing, like, to this day, so like, I, yeah, to this day, like, I don't count calories. I, I did have... There was a point where I did count calories because I was trying to gain weight and gain muscles, and that's one thing is that's still, like, a weird gray area of being okay with weighing more. Like, I'm okay with eating more, but it was weird to just, like, actually track my food to eat more and then see, like, the scale go up, even though, like, I was performing better. That was a weird area that really confused me and yeah. like, my brain and my emotions and stuff, but... Um, yeah, like to this day, I can't track or I don't want to track mainly just because I found something that works for me and I don't need to track. It's more just like every now and then, like I'll track my protein just to make sure I'm eating enough. Cause that's, you know, it's a very easy nutrient to yeah. eat in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, same thing. Like I used to use running a lot as like punishment for any time that I would eat more than whatever it was like my two coping options when I would eat more or whatever it would be would either you know throw up or go run Mm -hmm. and 
kind of same thing. Like I would track how many calories on my app I had to burn in my run to burn off like whatever it was that I ate the day beforehand or whatever it was. And so for a while when I was trying like to go through my healing process, (laughs) I couldn't run because I was just like, it's just going to keep the side. I I literally had to move away from everything that was causing it. Mm -hmm. And then thankfully I'm at a place now where it's now like running is more of a therapy based thing for me. It's very like freeing. And I don't know if it's because I came like the whole circle around of it was very toxic and then I learned to use it as beneficial and that's what kind of gives me like that runner's high or if it's like the actual runner's high that you get (laughs) um but yeah it's just it's so crazy how our brain you know just goes into that mindset or in that mode of like oh like shame yeah and like yeah self-destruction honestly I don't get why I like to think of like my brain as a separate entity from me yeah (laughs) like Like, is it's all or against us yeah Yeah. Like, it's its own thing, and it's kind of, like, trying to control me, but I can fight back type yeah. of thing. And so it's just, yeah, it's I don't understand why we're so quick, like how you said, to do self, be self-destructive or be mean to ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like when, like, my clients or even myself, you know, I step on the scale and it's a higher number, even though I'm well-educated enough to understand why that scale number could be fluctuating up that's not actually related to fat gain. Right. My first instinct is like, oh my gosh. Does not make you feel good? I'm so fat. Mm-hmm. I need yeah. to go like diet yep. or whatever. And I'm like, no, Natalie, stop it. You like where you're at. You're just, this is why we don't weigh ourselves or yes. whatever it may this be. This is why I tell Matt if I ever do, I very rarely weigh myself anymore. And it's been so consistent within a like five to 10 pound range that I'm like, whatever, it doesn't, you can fluctuate so much from day mm-hmm. to day. But I go tell Matt. Because if I'm ever, like, a little heavy, he's like, that's awesome. Like, he always gives me, gives me like, a positive feedback, mm-hmm. and I need that. And it helps me so much to help, like, wrap my brain to think that, too. Every yeah. time that I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is awesome. That means I can lift heavy. Mm-hmm. I feel stable. I feel strong. Whatever. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, kind yeah. of with Garrett, like, if I um, – because at the gym we were at before games, they had, like, one of the in-body scans. And so, yeah. like, those are so inaccurate. It can be good. They can. They can be bad. Yeah, there's a lot of, like – protocols you have to follow for it to be accurate but also for like leaner people it's not always the most accurate either um but I'd always and granted I would never follow the protocols either like once again I was aware of like that you had to be fasted and you had to like be x amount of hours after exercising and it had to be like you had to be well high like all those things and I'd just be like finish a workout and I'd be like let's go do it (laughs) and I remember like anytime I'd get it and like my body fat I didn't really care so much about the weight if my body fat was low yeah and so like look at body fat percentage I know I'd go and I'd tell Garrett and stuff or like I remember one time I did it and like my body fat was up I think by like one or two percent you know something normal and natural yeah I like went to Garrett I was like oh I'm like 20 two percent body fat and he's like oh it's awesome I was like no it's not shut up you're supposed to say work harder and he's like that's very toxic <laughs> that's very bad you shouldn't be doing that like what yeah. he's all did you like why why do you do it when did you do it I was like oh it was at like 7 p.m at night after working out <laughs> not fasted <laughs> not how I'm supposed to so it's kind of it's just funny how like how once again we kind of talked about this I think two episodes ago maybe or I don't even know when but we talked with someone about how I think it was with Ryan and Garrett when they were on about how like guys are more focused on like wanting to weigh more and have more muscle and like girls are the complete opposite (laughs) and so it's just so interesting how like you know in my mind and probably your mind too like when that is up we're initially like oh my gosh it's more it's higher it's whatever and then we go and we tell our partners and like oh that's awesome again getting yeah, swollen, swole, getting bald, muscle, muscle. so heavy this week, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's just like, huh? 
You're right. <laughs> yeah, they're crazy. They're so interesting. Matt does in the same way that I complain to him. He will come complain to me often if he's lost like a couple pounds. He's like, I'm emaciated. I'm like, you look the same. You look the same. You look exactly the same. haven't changed in the 10 years that I've known you. But yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it is a mental thing for them too. Just opposite. Mm-hmm. They're proud to be heavy. Yeah, that's interesting. feel like a man. Yeah, oh, the male and female brain is. The yeah. brain is such an interesting thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like you brought a lot of value today and we appreciate you being so yes. open and honest about everything that you've experienced. But kind of wrapping it up here, how do you embody your health? Um, I think the biggest thing, which has taken me time to like learn this, I think, but as my motive is basically what I can do with my life. Like that's the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like some people's might be like happiness or, or a specific goal or something. I think whatever I can do to go out there and like do the best at like achieving my goals, doing whatever I can to be the best mom, be the best spouse and like achieve things in the world is the whole point for me. So I can't do that if I'm not taking care of myself by my sanity for working out, fueling my body, sleeping enough, being with my family and the things that are fulfilling and like keep me grounded so I don't go mm-hmm. off and, I don't know, <laughs> like lose my mind. But um, all of those things basically to just achieve the most that I can achieve in all facets. For goal-oriented people, I think that's totally it. Like you just, you want to achieve everything. You want to yep. be a part of everything and do everything and then feel good while you're doing it. Yep, that type A that's personality. The goal. Yeah, <laughs> that's the goal. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on, and we had a great time. Thanks. Loved Me too. All, yeah. of your, all of your stories, and I yeah, just appreciate you coming out. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>